Fourth and final hour, Dale and Holly, Sports Radio WEEI. Michael Holly is not here today, but Jerry Thornton is in the house. You heard him last night call the game on Nesson. He is in Buffalo, where tomorrow night the Bruins take on the Buffalo Sabres. Jack Edwards joins us, brought to you by Shaw's Supermarkets. Hey, Jack, how you doing? I'm okay, Dale. I don't know if we're going to learn anything at all from tomorrow night's game based on what Buffalo did not do against Toronto last night, considering the Buffalo against a you know, Toronto team. We're not talking about a stalwart defensive team. Buffalo got a total of 10 shots on goal, 10 in the game. So, you know, if the Bruins don't win, then we learn something terrible. If they do win, I don't know if we learn anything. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, I had a, a mini rant at the top of the program here about the state of the Bruins right now, and I said, don't tell me about the, the win against Buffalo because it doesn't count. Uh, the win against the Toronto Maple Leafs barely counts as far as I'm concerned. And and more troubling to me, and, and last night, Claude Julian t- talked to you and Brick about this after the game, the lack of effort, the lack of compete. We're just not used to seeing that from a team wearing black and gold. Well, he's shaking it up, isn't he? The only line that's intact is the Krejci line, which uh, has been performing reasonably well of late. Uh, Milan Lucic is physically engaged. Seth Griffith has found the scoring touch, at least for now, and uh, he's doing the kind of reckless, daring things that high-scoring forwards have to do. And good for him for figuring it out and learning how to play with two outstanding players. And uh, the, uh, the Bruins don't have a whole lot of traction right now, but that's that's the line that has the traction, and they're going to try to build around that. Just about everything else has changed up, except for uh, Seidenberg and Hamilton because of the injuries and, and their close dissatisfaction with the work of the forwards. So bodies are moving, and that's good because uh, when the room gets too comfortable, that's when complacency sets in, and there sure were signs of complacency last night, blowing a two-goal lead in the third period at home. Jack, on a similar point, I, I referenced this earlier, and behind the B. Julian addressed the team, and he said, you know, we're not the champions anymore. Now, the, the championship was three years ago. It's not like it was, it was in June. It, should I be worried that this team just has, a, has an attitude problem? Are they just still resting on 2011? Uh, they're definitely not resting on 2011, and their core players, are, I think, are, are extremely dedicated to the task. The problem is there's been a great deal of instability with their core players. Krejci was hurt at the beginning of the season. Uh, Char is out now. Uh, Tuka Rask is in a position where he's got to do almost everything the length of the game. Uh, Rask was really outstanding in the first two periods. He made probably uh, eight or ten really, really high-quality saves. They weren't the spectacular gymnastic uh, variety, but he made some really important saves at important times and, uh, and had to move on a lot of them. They weren't just let the puck hit you type saves. Um, Dennis Seidenberg appears to have found his game lately. The guys that worry me are the guys who are more around the edges. Uh, Riley Smith, who is in a contract year, and you have to consider that, and maybe he's uh, a little bit off-center uh, mentally. There's no excuse for that. You've got to go out and play. Uh, Brad Marshand is here and there. Sometimes he's really exciting to watch, and sometimes he does stuff to make you grind your teeth. Um, you know, the decor has not really played solidly uh, since the Boychuk trade. There's been instability followed by injury, and even before his injury, Char was not near the top of his game. So I don't know if we uh, if we need to worry about um, attitude so much as uh, as construction of the team and 
that's uh, that's something that they're addressing. They've called up two guys, and they hope they can contribute. One of of necessity because Tory Krug's hurt, but one because Matt Bartkowski's played himself out of a job. Matt Bartkowski admitted uh, after the skate today that his his confidence is shot. I don't know how it couldn't be. After he made a mistake early in the third period, he didn't touch the ice again, played only eight minutes in the entire game. I don't see, I, I guess the concern would be if they tried to slip him down to Providence, he wouldn't clear waivers, but I don't see how his game improves sitting on the sidelines here either. Yeah, he's uh, ripe to be moved. Uh, you know, maybe it doesn't work out that way, but he's still a pretty good player, and there are a lot of teams that could put him to use. It doesn't seem to be working for him here. He's got a few chances, and a player with the quality skating game that Matt Bartkowski has is not going to fall through your right tail. You know, he's, he's going to get plucked off the waiver wire. <laughs> and wouldn't it be typical if the Islanders did it? You know, <laughs> they seem to live off players on the waiver wire. Um, but, yeah, he's, his time is, is running short unless uh, something unforeseen happens, and his trend is not good. Uh, on the other hand, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what Joe Morrow has because uh, three teams have had great interest in him. First Pittsburgh, then Dallas, and now Boston. So uh, those are three reasonably good organizations, and uh, you would think that he's got something to show. And uh, we're going to get another look at David Warsawski uh, sooner or later too because uh, you know, we, we saw him uh, last season, and the guy can play, and he's uh, – He's almost a crude clone in a lot of ways. Uh, smallish, great puck mover, um, pretty daring, good vision, and uh, he can contribute too. But this this team uh, has got to get realistic. They got to look at the standings and they got to say, you know what, we are mediocre at best. We are destined not to reach the playoffs structure at this point. And don't forget about the Thanksgiving rule, which is that uh, uh, only about 10% of the teams not in the playoff structure at Thanksgiving end up climbing in there. So <laughs> the uh, odds are stacked against them right now. they got some serious work to do. they got to look at it. This is a shift-by-shift playing for their jobs. Um, Jack, oh, we're 11 games in, and they've got three wins against teams not named Buffalo or, or Toronto. Is, is there a chance this gets better with the, the talent that they have? Yeah, yeah, there's a chance. Um, the, uh, the, the biggest problem that this team has is that it – it has uh, vapor locks. It just goes into uh, brain-dead situations where it's not paying attention and it makes crucial mistakes, just bad passes coming out of the zone. Uh, as Claude Julian was saying, not enough tape-to-tape passes. It's not the hardest thing to do in the world to pass the puck tape-to-tape. This is the National Hockey League. We're not talking about like a midget game out in Marlboro. We're talking about guys who are getting paid millions of dollars a year to put the puck where it's supposed to be. And that's just the result of concentration and a lack of confidence. They've got to remember what got them here, and they've got to just do a better job. It's about execution. It's about staying with the system and executing. We know the system works, and the system has worked with players not as good as them. So you look at the team that Claude Julian turned around in Montreal, that was not an extraordinarily talented team, but he got that team into the playoffs, and he got that team playing pretty well. Um, you know, this can happen with a depleted Boston roster, but the players have got to be spot on, and maybe being a little scared for their jobs would be good for them. This might be the kind of time, Dale, that uh, you would expect Harry Sinden to make a trade for effect, if nothing else, right? Just to, just to rattle the room a little bit. And, and the other part of this, Jack, that I was talking about earlier, and I can't even remember the last time I said this about a Bruins team, they're soft right now. 
when they need to make a play in their defensive end and get the puck out of the zone, they don't do it. They can't do it. They're playing soft. They're not playing physically. I couldn't believe the the amount of time and space that wild forwards had in front of Tuka Rask's net. Bruins teams of old would be knocking guys on their ass. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, run that, that line of uh, maybe you have to take a penalty just to make a statement that that real estate belongs to the Bruins and you have to kill the penalty. Uh, it's not as if Minnesota's power play was killing people. Uh, they haven't scored yet this season with the man advantage. So, um, yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point, Dale. And even if the Bruins can't do it the way they'd prefer to do it, by passing the puck out of the zone, then chip it out to the neutral zone and win the race to the puck, win the puck battles. The, the, the single most disappointing thing to me last night was just the Bruins' lack of ability to win puck battles. And whether that was not moving their feet, not thinking ahead and anticipating where the puck was going to end up, or just plain not working hard enough against the wall, um, it was really, really disappointing how, how far they fell short of the mark. Here's another sentence I've never said on these airwaves. Well, I did earlier today, but other than today, I've never said it. Patrice Bergeron hasn't been good enough. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a mystery. He's been really good at the faceoff dot, but his all-around game has not been uh, at the top. And, uh, now, part of that I'm may sure. be the guys on his wings, too. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that, but, it, uh, you know, he's not going to hide behind that. Uh, he, is, he is among the most accountable players uh, with whom we've ever dealt. I'm, I'm sure you, you feel that way too, Dale. Uh, he, he is, uh, he's a guy who takes it upon himself and says that he has to be better when he has to be better. And uh, I'm sure that he's in that situation right now. He has not gotten much help from his wings. And Riley Smith has just not not done anything to make anybody think that he's a top six forward. And Brad Marchand has been there about one-third of the time. And that's just not going to cut it. You know, as David Krejci said it when he faced the music after game seven of the Montreal series, if you're a top-line center, you got to be better than I was. Well, every single guy in that room needs to look in the mirror and say to himself, if you're an NHL player, you got to be better than I am. And, uh, again, you know, I don't know if we're going to learn anything uh, against the Buffalo Sabres tomorrow, but – uh, that's one of those games that, that if they don't win, man, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Shirelli may blow the roof off of this thing. It, it could get really ugly. Now, um, after the game, Julian singled out Seth Griffith and said, you know, he's a guy, really the only one who can hold his head high. Was that just stating the obvious that the kid played a great game, or should we read into more more of that? Like, was that a backhanded slap at, at the core guys? Yeah, I, you know, I, I – He's not keeping any secrets either. He's he talks to these guys. And I'm pretty sure he's peeled the paint a couple of times. Although we're not privy to those conversations. <laughs> Maybe the guy's shooting behind the BR, but I don't know if the editorial control of the team is going to let it get past the cutting room floor. Um, yeah, Griffith played well. He he still made some mistakes, but young mistakes of enthusiasm always should be forgiven. And those are the kinds of mistakes he's making right now. Uh, we we wish that uh, some of the veteran players would make some mistakes of enthusiasm right now. Uh, Lucic was slow to get going, but he's finally seeming to get his stride. Uh, Krejci has been very creative. And, uh, you know, apart from from those two guys uh, and Griffith coming on late, there really hasn't been a whole lot to smile about from the forwards this season. Uh, The decor is just playing a game of don't let the ship sink. And they're not doing it too well. They've got to fail a little bit faster. 
Jack, we always appreciate the time. I'll talk to you tomorrow night. I can't believe we're 11 games into the season. We're talking in these tones, Dale, but, <laughs> hey, here it is. It's going to be an interesting winter. They're going to struggle. Well, unless they start playing better than they are right now, that's for sure. All right, Jack, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, see ya. See ya. Jack Edwards brought to you by Shaw Supermarkets, joining us live from Buffalo where the Bruins have just arrived. Um, I had this is going back to a previous caller talking about how it's it's always so cold in Denver. Okay, uh, we pulled up the the kickoff temperatures from last year for the games in Denver, and, and obviously we're not talking about September and October where it was you know eighty three, sixty four, seventy six. Right, you know, yeah, pretty we'll, nice. we'll stipulate to September. We'll, and October. we'll start to we'll just give you December and January. Okay, they had four games: two in December, two in January. One was really cold. Uh, December 8th, it was 18 degrees at kickoff for a 4.05 kickoff uh, at, at Mile High Field. December 12th, it was 37 degrees at kickoff on Thursday night football, by the way. So it was not a frigid, cold day in Denver. Uh, January 12th, 4.40 start, it was 41 degrees at kickoff. January 19th, 3.06 start, it was 63 degrees at kickoff. I know that because we think of Colorado and mountains and ski, uh, ski areas and all that stuff, we think that it's horrific weather there all the time. Because of the way the Rockies are and the winds coming off the, the mountains, Denver is surprisingly temperate. And, and it, would, it would shock you, actually. They can have a, a foot of snow one day, and it can literally be 70 degrees the next day, the way the weather is. Last year, they had one kickoff on their home field where it was less than freezing. One the entire year. And from Thanksgiving on around here, you're you're lucky if you get one game where it's where it's that warm. Heck, it's gonna know? be it's gonna be less than that Sunday by the time they have kickoff oh, here, supposedly. Bring it on. Fire up that Bill Belichick weather machine. He, he's he's weaponized weather just for moments like this. He just last year in the playoffs didn't get to use it. 617-779-7937 is the telephone number. The AT&T text line is 37937. Jay is in Marlboro. Hey, Jay, how you doing? Good. How you guys doing? Doing great. What's up? So I've been listening to you guys debate this Brady Manning thing to and from work for about almost two weeks now. Something that I haven't heard anybody bring up yet is the fact that Peyton Manning has been in the league three more years than Tom Brady. Yeah, we talked about uh, it earlier. He play, he's played 46 more games than Brady has. Okay, and, and Brady was hurt for, for a year. Well, that's why uh, I said I, I, I prefer to use games because Manning missed a year as well with the neck right. surgery. Uh, Peyton you, Manning has played 46 more games than Tom Brady has. But if, So if you add on four more years to Brady's career at 30 touchdowns a year, Brady has 500 touchdowns. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his average numbers, and it was part of the piece that Ron Borges wrote uh, in the in the Boston Herald today, and I thought he he broke it down very nicely. Uh, you know, he would if if he had just his regular average years over the forty six games that that he is behind, he'd be about forty touchdown passes behind Peyton Manning for his career, not the oh, okay. huge gulf that there is now. He'd so only he'd be, be four thousand yards behind. He'd be close. He'd be pushing five hundred. Yeah, sure. yeah, he'd be in the ballpark. And and again, I mentioned this earlier, caller. Over the the breadth of their careers, Brady's teams average more points per game than Peyton Manning's teams do. That now, you know, we talked about this at the four and four Dale. The um, you know, whether you know who's the better fantasy quarterback or whatever. Brady's teams have traditionally not hesitated to get into the red zone and let somebody pound it in. Whereas Manning's teams rarely do, in spite of having some some pretty quality running backs in there. Um, 
the Patriots have been only too happy to let a Ben Jarvis Green Ellis or a Stephen Ridley or you know a uh, you know a Corey Dillon punch it in. Uh, by the way, uh, for the people who ask, how did he do on that game that was 18 degrees last year? Uh-huh. That was the game Matt Prater kicked the NFL record 64-yard field goal to beat the Tennessee Titans at the at the buzzer. He kicked that when it was 18 degrees out. He did. It must have been like kicking a block of ice. It probably was. He, he um, let's see, 39 completions for Peyton Manning, 397 yards. He scored, I mean, his team scored 51 points. I shouldn't say, Prater did kick the 64-yard field goal, but they won. It wasn't a buzzer beater thing. They scored 51 points that day in the 18 degrees. Uh, they beat the Tennessee Titans. I'm not sure how much. Stock I put in that since Tennessee at the time was five and eight. Okay. Uh, but they beat Tennessee 51 28. Prater just happened to kick the 64 yard field goal that day as well. Okay. I've been crunching numbers on some of Peyton Manning's defenses because, again, we've had caller after caller say, yeah, but, you know, Brady had the advantage there. The 2002 Colts, just to go back away, seventh in the league in points. 2005, second in the league in points. The 2007 team, while the Patriots were going 16 and 0, led the league in defense third in total yards, and 2012, his Denver team, fourth in points, second in yards in the NFL. So you want to argue again that Peyton Manning's been carrying these crappy defenses on his back to the to the playoffs. Guess again. 617-779-7937. It's Dale and Holly, Sports Radio, WEEI. 